In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear an inspirational piece from a woman who has heard those fateful words, you have cancer, twice. It's a story about how one woman finds hope and happiness in spite of life's uncertainties. My guest today is Nikki Lee McKean. After a cervical cancer diagnosis at 34 and a stage two breast cancer diagnosis just two years later, Nikki says she, quote, just threw out her cancer binder, purging all the things in her mind and physical space that no longer served her in a post-cancer world. In the wake of this purge, she is now wildly free and living a life where the main experience is love in a world of endless possibilities. I am so excited to have Nikki on the burn today because I think that this is something all of us want more of, freedom and love, as well as the ability to hold on to peace and hope despite life's turbulence. Ordinarily on the burn, I write a whole intro about the topic we're going to discuss, tie it to stories from my own life and my experiences, etc. But today I want us to get right to Nikki because she is the one with the wisdom. Nikki is a Canadian who describes herself as a creative, a mindset visionary who is documenting life and playing witness to expansive change. She is a lover of life and is inspired by life's romance and serendipitous moments. She's creative. She's an advocate. She is witness to transformative change and people's ability to find fluidity and beauty even through life's most difficult terrain. She's committed to growing and learning. Above all, despite having had cancer twice before turning 37, as well as life's other bumps and bangs, Nikki believes she is healthy, whole, and complete, just as she is. Just a note that today's episode includes some uh, adult language. We are adults having an adult conversation about cancer. So just so you know, for little ears, welcome to the burn, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited you're here. So you are going to be reading a piece you wrote for our identity and aftermath issue. This was an issue in which we explored what it means to ask the question, who am I after cancer knows my name? The piece you're reading for us today is called I'll Meet You in the Field. After you read, we'll talk about how you live so presently. And those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's story. All right, Nikki, I'll let you take it away. Thank you so much. 7 out of 10 is my new 10 out of 10. I just do 30% less, and that's okay. The first time I was diagnosed with cancer, I was home alone with my daughter, Sophie, and Charlotte. Nothing really prepares you for the phone call from the cancer hospital. The second time I was diagnosed with cancer, I was both shocked 
and prepared. In the tidal wave of a second cancer diagnosis with the weight of life's uncertainties and new normals, I felt free of my identity and prepared for the aftermath. What do you want? What do you need? Will I die? Who do I call? Life, family, cancer. Something doesn't look good. Doctors, CT scans, MRI, waiting game. Biopsy, prepare yourself. Time, mother, sick, nauseous, appointments, time, stand still. Travel, no travel. Plans, no plans. Okay, not okay. Heavy, light. Hope, chance, something, nothing. I'm sorry, you have cancer. What is present? And where do you feel that in your body? Can you tell me more? Death is present. I feel it everywhere. I'm afraid. My story. What is the story? Cervical cancer, no cancer. Chemotherapy, radiation. Brachytherapy. This is what death feels like. Spacious, vast, conscious. Pulsing in life's creation. Resilient. What the fuck? I love you just as you are. I accept you, and I still love you. For a moment, I was free from my pain, free from my physical body, regular life, cancer life. Stop to smell the roses. Unwell, tired, irritated, rebuild. Community, meditate, heal, finding love. Learn to listen deeply. New normal. Breathe. Feeling. Feel that. Trusting. Angry. Thoughtful. Forgetful. Pain. Comfort. Quiet. Awareness. Fast forward. Anxious. Shocked. I'm so sorry, but you have breast cancer. Cancer again? I don't understand. Death's doorstep. Are you kidding? What do you want? What do you need? I am alive. Invasive ductal carcinoma in situ. What the fuck does that mean? Surgery. It has spread. I'm sorry, we can't save your breast. Double mastectomy. My body and mind is asking to be seen, to be felt, to be heard. I see you. I feel you. I hear you. I am free. I'm healthy, whole, and complete, even if cancer resides in my physical body. I found the part of me they couldn't touch. Love is here as my main experience. Pain is also present. 
I love you just as you are. I accept you and I still love you. Deep listening, intuition, comfortable with being uncomfortable, empowered, freedom, flight, wildly free, suffocating in the suffering, funny, sad, allowing for all emotions to be present. I require time. I require space. I want help. I need help. I don't want your help. I am quiet. I require stillness. I feel your pain. Please hold my hand. I am playful. I am angry. I am understanding. You don't understand. I'm more than just this body. I am fluid. We can move. I am love. Femininity is within. I am more than just this body. I am healthy. I am learning. I am growing. I'm confused. I am still. I'm rage. I'm calm. I'm a dreamer. I'm at peace. Pain, suffering, understanding, surrender. What is your freedom in this physical form? I'll meet you in the field. I am beautifully complete. Mm, Thank you so much for that, Nikki. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Let's go ahead and take a quick little break here. And um, and when we come back, you and I are going to chat more about words that give us hope and meaning. Hi, my name is Tani Michelle. I'm from Austin, Texas, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 39. In the wildfire writing workshop, April took me to places in my memory I had thought I lost the key to. April is great at making you feel comfortable And having this live class also allowed me to connect and share with others, which I am truly grateful for. Thank you so much for the love, Tawny. Thank you for that. All right, Nikki, welcome back. Thank you again for your powerful writing. And I want to quickly fill our listeners in on something that they may not know if they haven't yet read this issue of Wildfire. So this wasn't just an essay, and I say just with air quotes because obviously it wasn't just anything. But in this case, I mean, your writing was accompanied by some truly beautiful photographs. We laid your story out over 14 pages that really showed visually and through your words as well as quotes from others that have influenced you this journey that you've been on to feel whole. Do you want to say anything about putting together that um, the full piece and not just the words that you just shared with us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, What was so incredible about even just the invitation to be um, a part of this issue was that a lot of the both words and photography was already there. So um, as someone who documents life, I'm a photographer by trade. Um, I'd already had a lot of these pieces. And what I think is so interesting about going through a cancer diagnosis in both times was that it was really important to me to document a lot of it. Um, Now, (laughs) I'm not sure I could have expected that some of them were documented in such a way, specifically the next photo. Um, I didn't 
I don't think there was any way to anticipate that my advocacy would find me on the side of a streetcar or in, you know, an underwear campaign. As some of the girls say, sometimes, you know, I was standing in the front foyer and like my underwear and I said, close the door. And the girl said, what are you afraid of? Like you're in the side of a streetcar on your undies. Like what's the difference now? Um, and what I think is so beautiful about the piece and being able to share it through photography is that we all interpret the world so differently. And I think um, sometimes it's at the forefront of words. Sometimes it's visual. Sometimes it's by touch and all through the different sounds. And collectively, when this piece came together, that was really present for me. And I think the way that I interpret the world, and even when I think about mindfulness and meditation, specifically yoga nidra as a practice for me, that's really helped me find stillness, even amongst, you know, the madness of, of life and or a cancer diagnosis is through those senses and really opening up to our senses and allowing our system to be able to be in the full expression of that. So pulling the piece together, both um, visually and through writing, um, it actually came together with quite ease. Like it was, had already been written, um, which was really a, such a gift. Oh, I love that. I love hearing that. It's always so nice to hear kind of a behind the scenes. And I love that you mentioned um, the NYX campaign, which obviously, you know, that there is a photo there in the piece. And I think you might have been the first flat woman I saw um, in a major way like that. So thank you for for doing that campaign. I hope um, I hope everyone sees that photo. <laughs> Fling the yeah. doors open, Nikki. <laughs> Let everyone yeah, see. Well, you know when I was when I chose to go flat, I, I remember there wasn't many photos available. Like I there, I remember googling it and like finding like one photo. So. If that happens to be the thing that helps people in any way or shape or form, it's like, it's, you know, it was never the plan that that photo was never the plan to be topless. It just happened organically. And I remember saying to Joanna, like, if you don't use that photo, like you would be great, like it'd be crazy. It just felt like such a gift for, you know, such an empowering, you know, I just happen to be in it. Sometimes I look at that photo and I'm like, who is that girl? <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and I think it's a, it's a nice way to, it's a nice reminder. Mm -hmm. Well, and one of the things I like about the photos that accompany this piece, and again, I hope everyone, um, can take a look at this particular story and pick up the issue because in some of the photos you do have breasts and in some of the photos you don't. So it also shows this transformation that was happening, um, Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you um, specifically about this idea you said you threw out your cancer binder, you know, so um, this second cancer idea, this kind of loss of innocence that you talk about. And I, I just want to hear more from you about what what it meant to, to just put that aside and, and go into it that second time, if you can talk a little bit about that, um, because it is different, right, the second time around. Yeah. So as a mother, so I have two children, but, and they had them back to back. Um, I can speak to that experience in the sense of like, you're pregnant, you've been through it, you go to all the doctor's appointments and then you have a baby at the end of it. And then you're pregnant again. And then you go to all the doctor's appointments and then you have a baby at the end of it. And so I think, um, in a way, you know, and I've spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital my whole life with different challenges. And so, it sort of felt like training. So cancer number one was such a different experience, like even as far as like 
how deeply connected I was with my husband. I was cancer number one brought our family together. You know, we, we had to dismantle our restaurant. We were, we went from fine dining to needing to build, you know, something that paid the bills because neither myself or my husband were working as someone who was my prime caregiver. Um, and what that did was it really allowed us to like open our heart up and start to lead into, you know, making decisions based upon what we really needed in that moment. Um, and then when cancer number two came just shy of two years, I felt like I had in the interim really been working on self-growth. I'd been really working on my mindfulness practice. I'd been working on my mindset practice. I had been doing some deep healing work in a way that felt way more responsible, not as in it's nothing to do with like being perfect. There's no right or wrong, but as far as like, okay, how can I bring or how can I change my environment to thrive no matter what the circumstances are? And I think that's where the suffering comes in in any sort of traumatic experience is not to have choice. I think what we all really want at the end of the day is the power and choice. And so when I was diagnosed with cancer the second time, I felt like I had that. I felt like I had the foundation for understanding that even though that is a very, very huge thing to hear, especially just coming and them not being tied to one another. It's a huge what the fuck moment. Mm -hmm. But then to meet that with grace in a sense of like, okay, well, I know that I can still create an environment in which I can thrive. And how do I do that? How do I create an environment for myself to thrive? How do I create an environment for the people around me? And how do I um, allow people to see me as that? Because I think one of those, the biggest challenges with a cancer diagnosis is like, is the awkward moments of like people literally thinking you're going to like drop dead in front of you, you know? So I felt like going into the second diagnosis, I really had the practice. I had a practice that empowered me to, even if just for a moment, like not, not the whole day, but just for a moment, be able to breathe, be able to like feel the sun on my face and get into a spot where it just felt good. And that I had. Now, my husband um, was not so in line with that. And so even in that regard, we were very disconnected in my second cancer diagnosis. Um, and so trying to bring that back home and then have understanding and compassion for my caregivers and what it was like, you know, to, to live with someone through a cancer diagnosis and what to do with that. So it was very, they're both very different experiences. In, in so many different ways. I bet. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's really striking me as you're talking here, and then when I was listening to you read your piece, and um, and I love how different it is, you know, hearing someone read their words versus, you know, I've read your piece many times, but hearing you read it really drove home for me how you are 100% the main character, the hero of your story. And I don't say that um, to mean you have ego or you're self-centered in a bad way. I I mean it so good that you, um, I, I guess I want to back up and say, I think one of the main reasons that writing our narratives is so powerful is because it allows us to move from that place of victimhood to right next to it, you know, to observing and to, like you said, what do I need to thrive in this moment? I'm still here. You know, cancer isn't the main character all of a sudden, and I'm just the, the landscape, you know, for this. Is that, is that something that you've learned? Is that inherent to you or tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah. I mean, I think I learned it. I think I learned it through um, being in community, being in safe community. Mm-hmm. And I say that, um, I, say, I, I, I think we're not always in safe community. And so for someone to thrive, safety is like the number one driver. Safety, trust, understanding, no judgment. So, and that also, you can be in your imagination in that space. You don't necessarily need a live person, but you got to cultivate that. You got to cultivate, um, what is the, it's like a classic quote where it says, fear is a poor use of imagination. And it is. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that, you know, a cancer diagnosis will send you down a very, very dark rabbit hole. And then depending on what, your rabbit hole looks like, and then the people around you, it can get really toxic and very quick. And we know that what we focus on grows. And I think in knowing just that, if we know that what we focus on grows, if all we're focusing on is disease, (laughs) then that becomes the main character. Mm -hmm. And I'm not disregarding it. I'm not just saying, you know, I'm not a magical unicorn riding around in the sky. Cancer is real and disease is real. But what I also think is really important for us to look at and what I've learned over the years and through my own experience is it's it's not always helpful for it to be the main character. Mm -hmm. And we have the ability to have choice. We just need to create that environment and also have people. So it meant like taking words out of the house like sick. It took um, asking specifically for health and how to support you know, and a lot of people didn't agree with it. But what I said was, I I don't need you to understand it. I need you to have understanding for it. Mm. That's it. There just has to be a space for you to be curious about it. So I had a lot of people, including like close family members that I think they felt like I was like, had lost the plot, you know, like what kind of dreamland is she living in? And what I said was, if this is my dreamland in amongst this storm, so be it. Like, look at a child. A child can pick up a rock and all of a sudden it's a mermaid. Mm -hmm. And that is the use of, that's the power of imagination. That's the power of choice. And I think that somehow along the way, we lose that with, with, you know, we undo it. And I, I still think that that, that creativity is still there, the use of imagination. And that's the practice, the practice of breathing, the practice of mindfulness, of getting quiet. It doesn't take away all the other things, but what I found in my experience was, is that when I felt good in that space, I could almost like, it was a little bit bigger. So it could like hold on to the fear. Mm. So it wasn't like pushing away the fear. It just held it like a newborn baby wants to be held when it's mm. crying. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, what's really um, resonating for me in what you're saying right now is it's not a, a toxic positivity that is very present in, in cancer and, you know, this good vibes only thing. What I'm hearing from you and through your piece is this duality, this to be broken and whole, you know, at the same time. Um, yeah. And that's, that's inherently human. That, that is the human experience. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. And like one doesn't go without the Mm -hmm. other. And I think once we can understand that, then there's such a sweet surrender in that of like, I don't need to be fixed in this moment. There's nothing to be fixed. It just is. And I think that part, like if I was to gift anyone or any caregiver with someone, like if, if someone's feeling sad or in their own experience or frustrated or, you know, rage or whatever it is, it's like, just to hold space for that, like just to B 
be sad for the day. Like I often talk about like, what's your day mm. eight? And I say day eight, as in like, for me, it's like, if I've been in bed for debt for eight straight days, like some, someone's got to, someone's got to call someone, you know, like what is your day eight? And we have to know that so that people don't have to fix it. You know, it's like, I say, fix it by day nine, <laughs> but give me eight days, you know? And I remember saying that to Vic when I was in treatment, like he would say like, but you're so sad. And I'm like, yeah, yes, yes, I am sad. Yes, I am frustrated. And so I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to be here uncomfortable with me in it. That's it. Mm. And that is the greatest gift that just holding space for that. And often, like, I think we want to fix it and change it. And that's not the human experience. That's not where we feel connected. We feel connected when we feel seen, felt, heard in the experience that we are in. And then usually once it's seen, felt, heard, it dissolves. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. And I also am so glad that you brought Vic in because I think it is um, the caregiver perspective to want to fix and to try to save the day and and get back to what was before and that constant pull to like, but it was so good before this happened. Um, did you mm-hmm. guys reach a place where he was able to hold that space for you there? Yeah. But it took a lot. In the beginning, it took a lot of frustration. I remember speaking to one of my beautiful mentors, Molly Burkholm, about this and just saying, you know, I feel really disconnected from him. He doesn't understand. And she said to me, how could he possibly understand? Mm -hmm. Like, how could he possibly? You're expecting something that's completely beyond him. And also, how could you possibly understand what it's like for him? In his world, he... This is the second time or the first time or whatever it is. He's he feels like he's going to lose his entire, you know, family. Like he's worried. You know, it's coming from a place of love. And so I remember her saying like that's the I'll meet you in the field piece is like she said you got to come back down to earth. You got to come and meet him. You both have to meet somewhere. You have to meet in the field. You have to meet somewhere mm-hmm. where It's not like meet me over here or, you know, people will say like my way or the highway. It's like, no, we have to meet in the middle. We have to meet somewhere with deep understanding, not to understand, but just to be like, okay, wow, how could I possibly know how you're feeling? But I actually don't need to. I just need to be able to be with it and hold that space. So it took a lot of communication, took a lot of hard conversations. It took a lot of conversations that looked like this. Babe, I'm going to talk for five minutes and I'm just going to offload. And I don't, it's not necessarily true, but it's just what's present for me. It's what's, what's going on for me. And then I want, and then it's your turn. And then I'm going to listen to you. And then it didn't involve talking or like having any commentary. It was just straight up sharing. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard to hear, but it changed our relationship completely because I think often we don't have that platform just to be in active listening. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm feeling something or I feel like, you know, I don't feel like you care about it's not it's not that he doesn't care about me. It's just that that happens to be my experience. And what I'm actually saying is I'm feeling disconnected. So just to be able to say it and then find ways to move into action to to be able to fulfill it or, you know, what would what would feel what would what specifically would support look like? And we started bringing those words. We wrote them down and it wasn't easy, but it was certainly helpful you know, it takes the romance out of it. I think a lot of people romantically think like, oh, but they should just know. Mm. But they don't know. And how could they unless they read minds? And usually, in my experience, what we need 
what support looks like is very specific according to the person. Mm -hmm. And so to leave that all up to chance makes it really risky. Sure. Exactly. And I think it also shifts this... um, I'm thinking of all the battle language around cancer, too, and that, you know, cancer is the enemy and we're going to fight this thing together. And instead of in my, you know, mind picturing you guys, instead of seeing you both like facing this foe, I just see you coming together like this storm is happening. And then and we're just going to stay calm and right here. Um, I love that. Yeah. I want to, um, before we run out of time, shift to, you've you've mentioned Molly Burkholm and in your piece, you know, you quoted from a few people and you've mentioned a few people. So I kind of want to shift to words to live by, words of inspiration. And, and you seem like a person who really gathers from others. There was... Um, This one that you included from Molly in your piece that said, I am healthy, whole, and complete just as I am. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that, about how words from others kind of influences how you affirm your daily experience, especially when days are hard. Yeah. I feel like that sentence, that like that mantra essentially changed my life. Mm. Uh, I feel like it gifted me with faith for someone that you know, whether or not you believe in God or whoever your God is, um, I think believing in just something, including yourself, is so um, necessary. And I think there's a lot of stigma around cancer and not believing in something. And there's a lot of people shit talking their bodies, really. Like, my body has deceived me, my body's failed me. And the reality is, is that even if we just get curious about it, you don't have to believe it. But even if you just get curious about the fact that we're made up of mind, body, and spirit. So when you say that I am sad, you could say that not a hundred percent of you is sad. Noticing sad. And the same happens with cancer, I think, in my experience. And even if I just, if, even if I'm just using my imagination for a moment, it releases it. And so that I'm healthy, whole, and complete just as I am untouched by anything or anyone is pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. And even if you just play with that in curiosity, it's light and it's spacious and it's true. And so even in the beginning when I heard it, I was like, well, I don't know. And then you kind of sit with it and like, where do you feel in the body? Oh, it feels open. Oh, it feels spacious. Oh, oh, there's a part of me that's aligned always. Oh, there's, you know, and so when you start to play with the idea that something much bigger is happening around you, then it's very spacious. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's necessarily true, but I think to play with the idea is very fun. (laughs) And um, in my experience, when you play with that space, that's, it's very creative and it's very open. It's very peaceful. And so I took that on. That was something that I learned in a yoga nidra training. And um, also to be seen, like I really felt seen, heard, felt by Molly. And it was the first time that someone had invited me to really see that part of myself that I I knew and felt true, but no one had sort of granted me that permission. And so when I say it, I feel, I feel it with such love and such reverence because I know that she believes it for me. She holds that space for me. So there's no better gift for someone going through anything than to see the part of you that's untouched, to see the part of you that's health. Like, let's talk about mm-hmm. that. 
Absolutely. Well, and I love in your piece, you also said that you found the place that cancer couldn't touch and, and that there are places like that. It does feel, it feels like it takes over everything, but it, it actually doesn't and it doesn't have to. Yeah. Well, our body is made to Mm -hmm. thrive. Like if we just think about it from even like a science point of view, like our whole body is made up to be in an environment to thrive. And so the responsibility piece of like, what are we doing to create an environment to help it mm-hmm. do that? And that and that can be done through anything, including the imagination. Exactly. Well, and just shifting um, the thought to that your body wants to heal instead of your body's the enemy um, can be really, really profound. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nikki. This has been so much fun. So today's writer and guest was Nikki Lee McKean. Her piece was titled, I'll Meet You in the Field from the August-September 2020 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Identity and Aftermath. This issue was guest edited by the team at Rethink Breast Cancer. And again, everyone, I urge you to get your hands on this issue. We're currently sold out of the print copies, but the digital downloads available in the Wildfire shop. You have to see these images of Nikki, um, like we said, with her um, topless photo from the Nick's advertising campaign um, and all of it. So Nikki, where can people find you and learn more about you online? Um, you can find me in a couple of different places, but the easiest one to find me is NikkiMagic.com. NikkiMagic.com. And yeah. yeah. And then on Instagram, it's Nikki Lee McKean. Love it. Love it. All right. Thank you so much. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's conversation with Nikki. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. So here is today's writing prompt. I want you to set your timer as always for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. The prompt is words of inspiration. What phrases inspire you? Jot one down and see through writing about it, why it holds meaning for you. If you can't think of one, here's a powerful quote that floats around social media. The author's on unknown, but it says, the woman you're becoming will cost you people, relationships, spaces, and material things choose her over everything. What would it look like for you to choose her, you, the person you're becoming? Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.